You're listening to episode 159 of the Tennis Files podcast. The seven do's and don'ts in your singles matches. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Welcome to the Tennis Files Podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mirban Iranshad. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Tennis Files Podcast. My name is Mirban Iranshad, and on the show, I'm going to cover seven key do's and don'ts in your singles matches. And strategy, unlike technique, is something that you can implement immediately that's going to make a big impact in your matches. So with technique, while the benefits are huge and you should absolutely work on it, strategy doesn't need tens or hundreds of hours before you can effectively use it in a tennis match. And lately, I've been watching points of amateur players on YouTube around the 4.5 to 5.0 level these days, and I found myself recognizing several key strategic mistakes as well as things that the players also did quite well. Today's episode is about the seven do's and don'ts, as I mentioned, for your singles matches. And by the time this episode is published, the cool thing is that there's also going to be a video on YouTube of me analyzing and critiquing five points from a 4-5 singles match. And I actually used video footage from Troll Tennis Channel, which is a pretty funny name, I think. But uh, in any case, shout out to them for letting me use their footage for the point analysis session. And I think you'll really like the video that I made for you. It's about 20 minutes long, so obviously I am going in depth about uh, the different points that I make during each point, and we're watching the full points, and I'm I'm making comments on uh, most of the shots. And in order to check that video out, which you can do right now, uh, just go to tennisfiles.com slash YouTube. And I'd really appreciate it if you would subscribe to my YouTube channel as well and hit the notification bell icon because then you'll be able to receive new videos straight into your email as soon as I hit publish on my videos. And I guess once they're uploaded. So maybe not right as soon as I hit publish, but you know, a few minutes after that. Um, but in any case, let's get right into the seven do's and don'ts in your singles matches. And the first do that I had observed in watching uh, this particular video or several videos actually is that you do want to hit as many forehands as possible. And this is because the majority of us have our forehands as our major weapon. I would say, you know, probably easily more than three fourths of the players, um, amateur players, have stronger uh, forehands than backhands. So I mean, obviously, if you're the exception here and your forehand is weaker than your backhand, then you may want to reverse this advice. But generally, we're going to be hitting faster, bigger forehands, and they're going to have more topspin on them uh, than our backhands. Just seems more natural of a shot for a lot of us. And so the important point to take with this is that when an opponent is hitting to your backhand, 
you should be making every effort that you can to run around your backhand to hit forehand. So if the ball is coming towards your backhand, but it's not you know, near the sideline, then I would definitely suggest, and obviously this comes with experience and practice and gauging what you can run around and what you can't, uh, that you should be hitting a forehand in that particular quadrant of the court, which um, some people re- refer to as quadrant C, D being your, your backhand, the, the left quarter of the court for righties, and then the right, far right quarter will be A, and then you, know, you just chop it up and go A, B, C, D. So um, you, you know, your entire game plan should be revolving around pitting your strengths against your opponent's weaknesses. And so when you pass up the opportunity to hit your, your forehand, which is your strength in most cases, then that is not the optimal play. And so I suggest that you work on your inside-out forehands, especially the footwork. Actually, this morning, uh, when I was doing my um, kind of my power and agility workout, I was working specifically on my uh, inside-out forehand footwork. So this is something that you can practice anytime. You don't necessarily need to be playing with somebody else to practice this. You don't even need a racket to practice that as well. I didn't have a racket outside at the time, although I think I will bring one next time to make it even more realistic. Uh, but yeah, and, and you know, one thing with this is some people may worry that you're leaving the opposite end of the court exposed, aka, you know, the wide forehand. But if you're hitting a deep offensive forehand, uh, then your opponent is not really going to be able to take advantage of that opening. Plus, you're going to be hitting another forehand anyways if your opponent is going to try to then hit uh, to the more open side of the court. So, uh, and it's also interesting to note uh, the per uh, some great coaches, including Craig O'Shaughnessy, who uh, was the uh, a strategist for Djokovic, uh, about two-thirds of points won on tour are off of forehands. And this actually... Uh, the majority of, of points are won on the forehand as well for juniors and amateur tennis players, if you look at the data. Point number two here is to do hit returns deep down the middle. Returns deep down the middle are just really fantastic uh, choice for many reasons. First is that one of the most frequently missed shots in the game is the return, especially with the racket technology today. Serves are getting bigger and bigger and badder uh, in a good way. So, unless you're a returner, of course. Uh, and unfortunately, returns are also one of the least practiced shots. I mean, uh, try to look back to the last couple of weeks and, and think to how frequently have you practiced your serve versus your ground strokes versus your volleys versus your returns. So if you can reduce your frequency of missed returns, which is one of the most missed shots in the game, then you will highly increase your chances of winning more points. Hence, down the middle returns obviously increase your chances of actually successfully returning the serve because you're decreasing the variable now of missing wide. I mean, you still can miss wide, but that's if you really miss hit your return uh, or just have really poor aim. Uh, or bad feel that day. So another great thing about returning down the middle is that you don't give the server very good angles to work with. So if somebody serves against you and you return down the line or you return across court, 
all of a sudden now they have a particular angles uh, that that they can hit into. But uh, especially if you return the serve down the middle really well and also uh, deep, then they're not going to be able to to attack it pretty much at all. And uh, in some cases too, if your return is offensive enough, you can actually jam your opponent as well so that they have to get out of the way of the ball. So then you're going to be on the offensive. So it's a much a much better percentage, uh, much lower risk if you were to even hit aggressively into the middle of the court versus aggressively cross court or down the line. So as you can see, there are many advantages to hitting the return down the middle and deep. It's a great, great place to hit the ball, especially if you feel like you're lacking rhythm. Um, I mean, just return deep down the middle. That's the way to go. Another do for you all. Point number three here out of seven is do hit deep, loopy shots when you are on the defensive. When you are out of position, your main goal should be to hit a shot such that you can reestablish a more neutral position in the rally. It would obviously be fantastic to go straight from defense to offense magically in one shot, but if you try to do this out of position, then you're probably going to miss the shot. And I noticed this in uh, in one of the videos that I was watching. One of the fellows he uh, tried to hit a a very wide angled winner uh, when he was both beh- way behind the baseline and also outside of the double sideline. And that's not the time that you want to uh, go for that type of shot. So instead, you want to hit a shot that will give you time to get back into a neutral position. And this is why deep loopy shots are so great. And uh, this is uh, partly because they hang in the air a bit longer, so you have more time to recover. And uh, mastering the skill of hitting these balls back deep, uh, similar to the last strategy, in fact, prevents your opponent from taking full advantage of you being out of position. So um, when you are stretched out wide, uh, instead of going for a huge shot, go for that deep, loopy, top spin type of uh, high arc shot. And again, you're also increasing your uh, chance of uh, making the shot because you're giving some margin for your shot with the uh, the height there. The height is very important as well, of course. Um, and and this leads me to point number four, which I kind of started to make uh, in in this point, uh, the previous point, which is don't go for low percentage shots. And this is the first don't. So it's kind of a pretty good transition. Don't go for low percentage shots out of position. Instead, play your position because I see too many players out of position uh, going for the sideline, going for a sharp cross court angle or even going for a very flat, powerful type of go-for-broke shot. And my coach in college used to call these go-for-broke shots because you're basically ending the point with this shot one way or the other, and more often than not, you're going to go broke, a.k.a. miss. And so the combination of going for offensive shots while in terrible positions usually equals terrible results. and The thing with this is, again, you know, we go back to watching professional tennis players on TV, and a lot of times you will see these pros, especially Nadal, who is just an amazing player and athlete, 
You see these pros making these types of shots stretched out on the run, but these players, they're practicing these shots way more than us. They're <laughs> 7 rated players. I mean, they're physically also more fit, and very importantly, they're more balanced than us on these shots when they're stretched way out wide. And so they have that really elite capability to be able to, to still uh, redirect these shots and, and hit really, really offensive shots from these very defensive positions. But even they, lots of times, they take the smarter route and they hit deep loopy shots back or they hit a, a slice back. And so we obviously cannot expect the same results as these great tennis pros. So, I mean, also, if you are going to whack the ball and, and hit it as hard as you can when you're uh, stretched out, you give yourself much less time to recover. And that's why in my previous point, I highly suggest that you instead he hit the deep loopy shot back to recover and give yourself more time to recover instead of less time. And, you know, as I had mentioned, the best time to go for these high-risk shots uh, are not when you're in the defensive position, but rather when you are balanced, in control of the point, and inside the baseline. So one great combination that I noticed from one of the players in that 4-5 match that I analyzed, uh, Subash actually, shout out to him, I noticed a couple times what he did was he gave the, his opponent a deep, uh, deep backhand, and then he fought it up with a short, uh, short-angled shot. But again, in this case, Subash was inside of the court. He was in control of the point, and that's when he went for that sharp-angled backhand. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. So just a very, really important point that you want to avoid going for these low percentage shots out of position. Point number five, which is our second don't, is don't hit right back to the opponent instead of the wide open court. And I have to admit, I was quite surprised when I watched the, uh, the YouTube video again of the four or five players and twice in a row, two points in a row, I saw that the opposing player who was on the defense was on the extreme one side of the sideline, in one case on the baseline, uh, and the other player was at the net. And in the second case, the offensive player had a very short ball and the other player was kind of like in the halfway point of the court on the opposite sideline once again. And so in these cases, you know, you want to just go for the percentages. You want to hit to the wide open court if it's there for you. And, you know, worst case, if the player is very fast and they might get a racket on the ball, but then you'll be set up for a volley. And I think part of the problem, once again, is watching pro tennis on TV and you're watching players hit behind their opponents. Uh, and, you know, this is obviously a legitimate case in uh, play in some many, in some cases. But I think less so for the amateur level. And but this is because, you know, there are amazing athletes, like incredibly fast pro tennis players. 
So these players immediately, I mean, they have the best recovery and speed in the world. And so as soon as they, they know that the player is hitting in the open court, they're just bolting and many times actually reaching, you know, a, a offensive volley, even though they're, they're starting their sprint on the opposite end. However, you know, us as amateur players, a lot of us don't have that speed. Many of us won't even try to get that shot. Uh, we just kind of stick around in that corner that we're at and pray that the opponent tries to be tricky. So when you see a lot of these hit behind the opponent plays, and all of a sudden you think it's a cool, tricky play, and then you start using it, even when your opponent is at the opposite sideline, and you are way in the court, you have a volley. Uh, and so, as I mentioned, when I was watching this 4-5 singles video, uh, I don't know if, I can't remember if I completed the thought there, but basically... Uh, offensive player in both cases, you know, way in the court or ha had a volley or was way in the court and had a forehand. Other player was on the opposite sideline. And then the offensive player hit the ball right back to the defensive player, which was, you know, I, it was not, you know, a very optimal play. Um, and then unfortunately, uh, the player, at least one of the point in one of the points, the player obviously lost. And the other one, I can't remember. But if you want to know exactly what happened at that point and watch it and digest it visually, you can go to tennisfiles.com slash YouTube and click on that video, uh, the single strategy, the seven do's and don'ts, I think it'll be titled. Um, so, and you can check out the video and watch uh, the analysis. So uh, you definitely want to play the percentages. I think a really good play in hitting behind your opponent is like if you hit a slice serve, they return it, they're very fast, and you've already used the combination of wide serve, open court, wide serve, open court. You know, on the third or fourth one, you go wide serve, then they say, okay, this guy's going to do this, guy or girl is going to do the same play to the open court, so then you go behind them. And then once in a while, when you're volleying, but uh, definitely don't want to make that a habit. And just, uh, you know, if you need to to have to play one more shot a finishing volley then just just go for it set it up and and do that and you know i mean i'm critiquing here but i can uh confidently say that i'm also i've been guilty of doing this sometimes i have the obvious open court shot and then i hit it try to hit it behind my opponent and then they they're right there they stick there and then they just hit the ball in the open court and usually when and when this happens then i follow it up with a face palm Sweaty face palm uh, right afterwards as I uh, watch my opponent uh, laugh after he hits the ball on the court. So, um, again, just uh, point number five, don't hit right back to the opponent instead of the wide open court. Very rarely. And one other thing, too, is say if you're it, up at net and you have that open court volley. I mean, one other choice you could do is like a short volley, a short angled volley. I, I may make this point now because I remember in the video, um, you know, that that being one option as well. But uh, yeah, open court, please go go there. Point number six and don't number three. I'm trying to split them up here. I actually reworded this. This was originally a do, but don't pass up opportunities to take advantage of short balls be aggressive and follow them to the net. So when I interviewed Emilio Sanchez, who has an academy now, uh, Sanchez Casal Academy, I believe it is, and uh, he was on episode 129 
of the Tennis Files podcast, which you can check out at tennisfiles.com slash 129. And he's actually the brother of Arancha Sanchez Vicario, legendary tennis player. He told me and told us all uh, who are listening to the podcast that amateur tennis players need to be way more aggressive and they need to stop letting the ball just come to them. And this rang true. And I thought of Emilio when I was watching this 4-5 match because one of the biggest things that I noticed was how few opportunities the players took to actually get to the net off the short balls. Uh, on one point, I saw that there were there were maybe like three, at least three short balls that bounced inside the service line. One was like halfway in between the service line and the net. And yet the player would either let the ball come to him or move up a bit, hit the ball, but then unfortunately back up. And, you know, I, guess, I think part of this is probably confidence in the net game, perhaps, although I did see both players hit volleys and they looked okay. So, but in any case, it's really important, you know, especially with players being competent in, in their baseline play, it's, it's important that you distinguish yourself by being more aggressive and forcing more errors through calculated aggression and putting your opponents under pressure. This is what you need to do. You need to put your opponents under pressure when the opportunities to do that arise. And attacking short balls is the main way to do this. And kind of, uh, I suppose, point number seven, I can say, is that you do want to, uh, which is related to this, you do want to pay attention to your opponent's um, postures and their positioning and, and their balance, etc. Because in watching this video, um, I think that if the if the offensive player or should have been offensive player had kind of paid attention to where the player was, you know that they were leaning backwards, that they were unbalanced, those are cues to immediately start moving up into the court. I mean, with that type of posture uh, and and balance, uh, they're very. <laughs> few players who can just whip uh, a very offensive shot uh, when they're in that type of posture and positioning. So do please pay attention to your opponents and their tendencies and, and you know wh- how they look, where their racket is, and all these things, because that's going to help you to decide where to play the ball and where to position yourself so that you can get ready to take advantage of the... Uh, defensive position or whatever position the opponent is has at that moment. And then a bonus tip for you is do videotape your matches and analyze your shot selection and positioning. I can tell you, you're not going to realize many of your mistakes until you review your play and see exactly what you're doing. Uh, obviously, this can also apply to somebody else like a coach or a fellow tennis player. Uh, who kind of watches what you're doing and, and sees and lets you know. But uh, I think it's it's best if you videotape your matches and then watch them in real, or, you know, right afterwards and take some notes, mental notes, but, uh, you know, better to write them down or, you know, save them in a Google Doc or something like that so you can uh, see them on your phone whenever you want. Uh, reviewing video of your matches really is fantastic because as um, you'll be able to see in the video that I put up on YouTube, we can pause, rewind, we can slow down each point to really understand what we did well or what we didn't do so well. And it really is super easy to videotape your matches. And I'll repeat that once more for those of you who have trepidation in regards to technology. 
it is super easy to videotape your matches. All you need is a cell phone camera and a tripod. That's what I have used, you know, quite a bit. Uh, or even better, a GoPro or a camera, perhaps a DSLR or mirrorless camera, or a video camera, and a clamp mount to clamp that recording device to the fence so that you don't uh, bump into it uh, on the court. And if you want me to make a video or a podcast episode showing you or explaining to you how to record yourself playing tennis, then send me an email and let me know. So those are the seven do's and don'ts for your singles matches to help you uh, be more successful in them. And I hope that you, uh, you choose at least one of these do's and don'ts, do's or don'ts, and apply them to your singles play. And uh, also, if you want a doubles version of this, let me know too, and I can do that for you. If you enjoyed this podcast, I really would appreciate it if you would subscribe to the podcast. Uh, it would really help both the podcast um, be more visible to everybody and, and rank a bit higher. And also, uh, it would help you receive the episodes as soon as they're published on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, um, any of those. And the URLs for those, which I'll leave in the show notes, are, are tennisfiles.com slash podcasts, tennisfiles.com slash Apple Podcasts, tennisfiles.com slash Spotify, and tennisfiles.com slash Google Podcasts. And yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it. Uh, although I do want to leave you with a quote, as I often love to do at the end of the show. And this one is by Betty Williams. And Betty said, peace in the world is everybody's business, no matter where you live or what you do. And obviously, this quote isn't as much of a tennis quote, but uh, it's still a very powerful one that you should think about. All right. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Tennis Files podcast. I really do appreciate all your support. And I will see you on the next episode of the show. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.